This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Let's go back in time to 1932 as Converse brings you historic footage of the legendary original Celtics with whom all great professional teams are compared. We have now taken over your radio. Richie Guerin is about to show you the most important step in getting past a man. It's the first one. An Oscar will inbound it. The men in green, the Milwaukee Bucks, that's Al Cinder against Bellamy. Jordan open Chicago with the lead. Hello and welcome back to the Over and Back Classic NBA podcast at thepodiumgame.com. I'm Jason Mann and with me always is Rich Krejci. Rich great, great to be back with you. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a it's been a few weeks, but I'm ready to get back on this. It's absolutely good episode too. This one's gonna be cool. I like this. You're one always excited about every episode. I am. I really am. I mean, there's gonna be one. There'll be one, and you can tell. I won't say that I'm excited. I'll be like, yeah, all right, we like, gotta talk right, about. Like, do this one, you know. Right. You'll you'll know. People will know. Uh, but right. This one I am generally excited about. Yeah. Like they'll know. Uh, there's gonna be a one. There's gonna up. be one. I'm I'm making talk about the the mid 2000s talks too much, and you're just gonna right. Yeah. Or like. Let's talk about the cultural impact of the 70s Knicks. I'm going to be <laughs> like, yeah. you you'll know. You'll know. It's not going to be yours, no. All right. Well, fair enough. Our uh, topic today <laughs> is uh, we're, we're going to talk about trades. Trades of all kinds, although we're really definitely going to focus on uh, midseason trades and really trades that sort of were at least intended to benefit both sides. So that's going to be kind of a discussion that you and I have later. But first of all, we have a, a very special guest. Um he is he, he runs the NBA Trades uh, Tumblr blog and has a, um, a podcast of the same name, uh, Raphael Canton. Uh, Raphael, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk about some good old fashioned trades. So, what uh, first? What made you decide to to, to you know to, to to run a a podcast and a Twitter account and and a, and a blog that uh, specialize in trades? What made you pick that subject? Um, it, it's like a, it's a mix of things. As a kid, I used to collect basketball cards. I was a little crazy, a little obsessed with that when I was like in elementary school and middle school. And I always used to memorize all the stats when a player got traded from whatever team to whatever. And so in college, I was like, you know, it'd be really cool to look back on these trades that when I was a kid, I didn't really understand why this guy got moved you know, to wherever, like, especially as a kid, I remember Damon Stoudemire getting traded from Toronto to Portland. And I didn't really understand why he got moved. And then when I was in college, I randomly looked it up and I, I found all of this information about it that I never would have understood 
why he got traded. And so I was like, maybe I should look through every trade possible <laughs> that um, that I I looked at when I was a kid. And so I started looking through all these 90s trades, all these 2000s trades, and it brought back memories from some things. And so it sort of uh, led me to, to doing that. And then I, you know, I asked advice from some people, and a lot of people thought it was a cool idea. So I was like, why not get it started? And I started it, I think, I want to say two years ago. I started two year ago, two years ago, like 2012. And it's just like grown into something where I'm doing a podcast on the side with it, you know, um, and just trying to add a little bit more depth to a lot of these stories that I feel like we know about the trades, like what transactions happen. But there's a lot more details in terms of why this player got traded, how they fell, especially reading through a lot of the quotes. That's like the most revealing yeah. stuff that I find when I look through it. So I sort of like what inspired me to do it. And it's sort of weird. It's like I've gone through so many trades. It's like <laughs> I'm like I my whole my goal initially was like I'm going to try and do every trade ever. But it's like with all these trades happening <laughs> right now, it's like impossible uh, so it's hard to keep up with, but it's definitely something fun to look back at. And it, it definitely reminds me of those good old times when I was uh, collecting basketball cards. What, what's your favorite trade that you've ever written about or covered or, or, or done a podcast about? What's one that kind of stands out for, for any reason? I mean, there could be a multitude of reasons why, but is there one that kind of stands out in your mind? Um, there are, there are a few, I'd have to say the first one I ever did was, um, the Anthony Mason, Larry Johnson trade. I did. Uh, the Hornets and the Knicks. And I actually ended up doing, that was the first podcast I did. I've only done like a few podcasts, but I did one with my brother, who's also a Knicks fan. And we talked about it because he's older than me. And so he knows a little bit more about like the Knicks from the the, the 90s. And and I I learned a lot about it just talking to him about it. But 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 from writing about it, I, I learned a lot about it because... It, for me as a kid, seeing Larry Johnson on the Knicks and not understanding how he ended up, you know, being on Charlotte and then ended up being on the Knicks, doing research on it made me realize all the stuff I, I had never um, heard of before in terms of his relationship with Hornets management and how they didn't want to pay him anymore. <laughs> and they were uh, pretty much reshaping the franchise after Alonzo Mourning, uh, uh, pretty much demanded to be traded through like refusing to to agree on resigning with them. So it's definitely stuff that I never looked at before, but that's one that 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 stands out to me. Another one that I did early on was Derek McKee for Detlef Schrempf. And that's like my ultimate favorite trade because I feel like both teams got something useful mm -hmm. that helped them along the way and really uh shaped their franchises for a good 5 or 6 year stretch after even though those guys aren't like the two highlights of those teams where we look at more so Gary Payton and Sean Kemp in Seattle or Reggie Miller in Indiana. Um, I, I like those trades because those are foundational building trades that, that matter. Um, another one, I, I'll go for a third one. Another one I like doing, uh, one I really liked doing was David Thompson um, because that really got me to look into his career, which I, I had never really looked into. And so that's sort of one reason why I do like to do older trades, like especially in the 70s and, and the 80s, because, I mean, that's before my time. So I never was, I, I'm born in 1990, so I never watched basketball <laughs> in the 80s or the 70s, really. A lot of that stuff is from my dad, I hear about, and it's really only Knicks. He, he's a New York Knicks fan, so... 
I've never really uh, learned anything about it. So that was one that, that really intrigued me because I got to learn David Thompson's story and what led to his career uh, descending from his success in the ABA with Denver and in the NBA and then his eventual downfall that led him to be traded to Seattle and then him being forced to retire. Um, so, yeah, those are probably three trades that I look at that I'm like, wow, those are ones that I really enjoyed and took forever to, to like, write about, but um, they were all really fun. Yeah, you do a really excellent job, I think, of just pulling from a lot of different sources and, um, and, and just, yeah, so much context and so much research. I mean, it's definitely been useful for um, us looking up stuff for the uh, for, for our podcast. So we really, you know, appreciate the, uh, the the great work that you're doing there. The the NBA historian crowd seems kind of small, but, you know, there's some really good stuff um, going on and, and you're definitely part of it. So we appreciate that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it is really small. I, like, it, it, there there are people out there, though. Um, on Twitter, it's really weird. There is, like, this crowd of people who really love talking about some of the old trades, I think, because there are so many memories that are attached to them. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think the, just the thing about a trade is there's always, like, that feeling of, of just... You know, with with any trade, there's just a, a sense of like optimism. At least any trade where both sides are getting something that you feel like, okay, this could be part of our future, or this could give us just another little push to have a better chance at a championship. But there's always that that feeling. It's just almost any trade. There's just that sense of excitement, I guess. That um, you know, uh, the, the the possibilities that could come even from you know relatively minor um, yeah something's different something's I mean you've been watching a team or you've been watching somebody and now something's different like even if it's even if you're dumping guys even if you're bringing guys in you're just seeing something different there's like a change and, and that's and people always I always attribute it the reason I'm a big trades guy is it's it's you can kind of remember memories pre and post I mean it's a good like kind of line of, of demarcation but for some teams or whatever because like especially if it's a team you follow you sort of always remember kind of what they were like before and then what they were like after and you know th there's you can always look at that oh when we traded x is when we really got you know this or we really got bad or we really got good or there's always kind of a fun aspect to that for me I've always been that way too and I I got a lot of it from basketball cards as well just looking on the back and going whoa he went from Seattle to Denver like how did that happen like you know as a kid like not understanding how trades worked and and I remember I would always go to my dad and be like well why'd they do that and he would always be like oh, i don't know and like not knowing hey there's finances or like he didn't want to tell me hey the salary cap and, da, 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 da. and I, was, I was always like that guy's no good like what the hell like i don't understand but no it, it's now that you know it, it you get a little more of appreciation now that you're older but absolutely yeah. um so what are some of your favorite trades that like really benefited both sides i mean you mentioned the the chef mckee trade are there any others that kind of stand out as like oh yeah this definitely worked out really well for both teams yeah, um, there are a few. Uh, there are some really good ones. I mean, like, uh, wow, it's really hard because I'm like trying to go through everything. <laughs> sure, sure. And um, a good one, I'd say, is you know what's a really good one? The Sean Marion, uh, well, Steve Nash, uh, Dallas and Phoenix. I know it sounds crazy thinking that, but when Phoenix traded Steve Nash, who at the time was a bench player in his first few years and they traded him to Dallas. Like a lot of people will look at that as a steal, but in the trade, they got a draft pick and they got Sean Marion or they used that draft pick on Sean Marion. So I think in retrospect, that looks a lot more fair. Um, then when you think probably the first two or three years, you probably say, Oh, Nash, because of how well he played in Dallas. Um, after the first few years, when I think the first two years, he didn't play that well in Dallas, but 
became an all-star. And I think that that one's, uh, I mean, Nash ended up coming back to Phoenix, but it's that one I think is a really interesting trade just because, you know, like this, it, it doesn't seem like a big trade because at the time Nash was a bench player and now, and then eventually he became something and then you're just trading a draft pick and you don't know where it's going to end up. Um, an, an underrated one I'd have to say, and it's unfortunate, uh, is the probably the, 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 well, actually, I wouldn't say it's even. Now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, I was going to say Grant Hill for Ben Wallace. I think for name-wise, name, name wise, I'd say it's even. But with Grant Hill's injuries, it's definitely not even. Um, but uh, definitely, um, I don't know. This is this is, this is a, the head scratch. This is hard. I, yeah, there's so many traits. And I saw some even ones. But for the most part... It's it's hard to find those those even even trades. Um, a lot of times there is a there is usually a fleecing, or I think also players don't fit necessarily with whatever team they're they're joining, and so you think that based on name recognition level that it'd be even, but then it doesn't work out. Um, like a good example is one I did was. Dan Marley for uh, John Hot Rod Williams. I did that. I worked on that uh, piece for a while. And it was interesting because Dan Marley had such a great career in Phoenix. And then as soon as he got traded to Cleveland, he really, really struggled that uh, the one year he played in Cleveland because uh, they played a much slower system. Mike Fratello uh, historically always had low-scoring teams in Cleveland. And he really struggled. And John Hot Rod Williams struggled, too. So that one's sort of even in a, they both were really bad after the trade, after being really good players for their team. So that one's an even one thinking about it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that, I mean, that's one that I that actually I'd say. There are ones that actually, you know, it's a good one. Uh, Seattle, Milwaukee, and uh, Cleveland. That's a fair trade because everybody suffered from that one. The Vin Baker, Sean Kemp. <laughs> uh Pharrell Brandon, uh Tyrone Hill three way trade. Uh obviously Vin Baker and Sean Kemp didn't work out and Terrell Brandon only was with Milwaukee for one year. And I think the same thing with Tyrone Hill. I think he was only in Milwaukee for a year and a half. Um I think that that one worked out perfectly from uh it, it was the <laughs> ultimate chaos and disaster. So that's one that I'd say is definitely even uh from another perspective compared to you know looking at the strength and mckee trade that one is like even from both players help those teams succeed whereas the other one with seattle milwaukee and cleveland is uh just a hot mess can, can, and i think go ahead oh sorry go ahead go ahead uh, I, um i was just gonna say you know are there any trades that you kind of think that like are historically maybe seen as significantly better or worse than they really ended up being? Um, uh, I, uh, I think so. Well, I think things change all the time. I mean, like we could think, think about trades like currently or, or in the past five years, like one that, that has changed and I think is a, is a volatile trade in the sense that, people's opinions of it change all the time is probably I'd say Carmelo with the Knicks and the Nuggets because there are so many variables that have played into it I mean Carmelo has gone from 
struggling in New York, you know, putting out 40 win teams that aren't that good. And then having that 2012, 13 season where the Knicks won 54 games and you're thinking, okay, the Knicks are building something. And then these past two years have been a nightmare for any Knicks fan or just the Knicks in general. And then in terms of Denver, it's like the same thing too. Denver was sort of a lower-seeded Western Conference team after they traded Carmelo. And you're thinking, okay, they got a good return for him. And then they they peak with the 50... I think they won 56 games or 57 games. I don't remember. But they won two years ago when they had Andre Iguodala. And you're thinking, okay, so... This is working out for them. Gallinari's playing a significant role. Um, and that one, I think, has changed so much over time because Carmelo's uh, tenure in New York has sort of become clouded with everything from the the, the recent losing and obviously uh, the news of, of him having the knee surgery and everything. And the Nuggets situation has sort of unfolded in a negative way with Gallinari having his knee problems and Wilson Chandler not necessarily growing into what the Nuggets wanted him to be and sort of becoming more of a trade ship than anything. And, I mean, things change all the time. Like, Mozgov was sort of a throw-in into the trade, and the Nuggets were able to profit very well off of trading him because they got two first-round draft picks for him. So... It, it it varies. That one is something that I'd say, like, a trade can change so much over time and the way we look at it. Another one I'd say also is Pau Gasol and Marc Gasol. Um, it'd be easy four or five years ago to just say the Lakers fleeced Memphis with the two championships and Pau Gasol playing such a, uh, an important role as the second-best player on those two championship teams. And Marcus Gasol obviously starting off well in Memphis, but, I mean, he wasn't a superstar when he first came into the league. And now we see him differently over the past four or five years. He's become Defensive Player of the Year, uh, one of the best passing big men, one of the better scoring big men, one of the, the most complete center in the NBA right now. And he's made Memphis something that the Grizzly franchise has never been, which is a perennial playoff contender and a title contender this year. So I, I'd have to say that one has changed a lot, too, because that one really has changed the way we look at um, trading a superstar. Because at that time, Powell wanted to be dealt. It's sort of like what we're seeing with Goran Dragic right now. But Powell was like, when I'm a free agent, I'm just going to leave. And so Memphis was sort of forced to, to trade him. And... I mean, when they traded him, I remember everyone was pretty much... I, I think Greg Popovich had uh, comments about it, and everyone was saying that the the league shouldn't have allowed that to happen, um, which is foreshadowing to the whole Chris Paul situation. But it's it's amazing to see how much that has changed. I don't think people view that trade as the Lakers fleecing Memphis right now with how impactful Marcus Gasol has been on uh, Memphis's overall franchise. Like... He's impactful in their history because, I mean, they've made the playoffs every year for the past, I'd say, five years. So it's or it's going to be the fifth year this year. So they had they've made the they made the playoffs I think three times before he came there, and now they've made the playoffs five times in a row. So I think yeah. that that's that's another one. 
Yeah, he certainly made them a healthy franchise after a while of them really not being, even with power or whatever. So um, question that we had from a few people and one that, you know, Jason and I always talk about. And one of our goals in doing this podcast, and I think a big reason why you do your blog and do your podcast is, in your mind, are there any important trades that have just been forgotten by history that we just don't talk about enough or you don't read enough about or or, or don't get the due that they're, that they're really worth of, of you know, ones that were significant, were a big deal, guys benefited, but maybe we just don't talk about it. Maybe we forget about it or we it's just not as historically significant for whatever reason. Yeah, I think some are are like a lot of the draft trades are are something that we forget a lot because of um, the players not are not there yet. But having the opportunity to draft a player because you made a previous trade um, is really important. I mean, like one thing that I always thought was interesting was Goran Dragic. And I know it sounds so weird now that he's talking about the trade, but um, when Phoenix wanted wanted him, uh, San Antonio drafted him, but Phoenix bought the right bought the rights of the pick from San Antonio, so it was, ended up being a trade, and they ended up drafting the rights to Dragic uh, in that trade with San Antonio. And obviously, he left and went to Houston and came back, and he's been such an important player. That's one that I look back at. That's like, wow, like. It's it's a underrated uh, steal. I think they traded Malik Harrison. Uh, they traded the rights to Malik Harrison, who's not even in the NBA now. Um, but on a bigger scale, um, a trade that people don't talk a lot about. I'd say um, the 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 Knicks. Well, actually, no. Uh, Knicks fans talk a lot about Patrick Ewing get, getting traded. Um, I feel like in the greater the grander scheme of things, people don't really talk about it because he wasn't that great of a player at the time. By that uh, stage in his career, he was pretty much in his last two years in the NBA. I feel like that one's one that doesn't get talked a lot about because it really ruined the Knicks, or, or it started a pattern for New York that. Um, that they still haven't been able to get out of in terms of acquiring certain players and making uh, bad decisions on top of bad decisions that just sort of they can never get themselves out of. Even when they've had chances to rebuild, they pretty much haven't chosen. They've chosen the other path, which is a quick fix, and this never helped them. So I think that that's a good long-term one. Um... Is there anything else? Oh, you know another underrated one? I'd say it's uh, Mark Jackson with the Pacers in Denver. Uh, mm-hmm. The Pacers got rid of Mark Jackson in 1996. after They, they uh, played in the first round against Atlanta in the 1996 playoffs. They were 52-30, and 30, but Reggie Miller had a fractured eye socket, and he missed, like, it was, like, late in the season, so he ended up missing, like, the last three or four games. And he missed the beginning of the playoffs. He missed the first four games of the series. It was tied 2-2. He came back for game five uh, at home in Indiana. And they lost game five at home. And then they lost, that meant they lost in the first round. So it was definitely a disappointment for them. And I guess they felt they needed to make a move. Um, and they traded Mark Jackson uh, to Denver for Jalen Rose. And among other things. I think they got a draft pick, too, in the trade. And I think they used it on Eric Dampier. Uh and the Pacers struggled. I mean, they didn't really have a, back, a point guard that could fill Mark Jackson's shoes that next year. And they had injuries, I think, the next year, too, like um, among that, too. They had, uh, I think, Rick Smith missed a lot of time and Derek McKee missed a lot of time. And 
Travis Best was starting, but he wasn't really ready to take over that starting role as point guard. And I think they 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 did a deadline deal with Denver, and they got Mark Jackson back. They traded like it was what they gave to Denver was really weird. They got, I think they gave uh, Vincent Askew and uh, Eddie Johnson. It was like and two second rounders. They didn't really have to give up that much compared to what they got uh, getting Jalen Rose uh, from Mark Jackson. So I think that that's the one that nobody really looks back because the Pacers had all these years pretty much uh, except for the 96-97 season where they made the playoffs. And that one year, they traded Mark Jackson. They really struggled that year. I think they finished 39-43. and And it's such a random uh, trade a player and then half a season later, you trade back for him. And, <laughs> and it's just so... It's like... A, it's such a bizarro deal. It's something that I always... Like, I always would want to talk to Donnie Walsh about that because I'm like, what... Uh, compels you to trade for him and then trade back for him as your solution even though it did work out he helped them um i think 97 through 2000 they were really they were a contender uh for a title um those three years um and so i think that that one's one that no one really talks about and i've never heard mark jackson reference being traded uh twice in a six-month span yeah, that that reminds me of the uh, the Sean Elliott uh, to Pistons trade. And oh yeah, then, that's another good one. Yeah, yeah, where they they got a lot. Um, the Spurs were able to get a, were able to get a lot for him, and then he struggled in in Detroit, and then Detroit you know gave him back for almost nothing. So uh, it's funny how that uh, how that works out. So um, we had one. Um, one uh chuck shots from twitter wanted to ask us to talk about the um a couple of mid of significant mid uh, season trades in the 2000s of course the rashid wallace uh 2004 carousel going from the blazers playing one game for the hawks and then um going to uh, the pistons and uh, dikembe to, from the hawks to uh, philadelphia in uh, 2001 which both were trades involving the Hawks uh, that led to uh, teams uh, making the finals and in the Pistons uh, case, winning championships. Yeah, those two trades are definitely significant. I think what also stands out is how weak the East was at that time. I mean, the, the East is pretty much still weak right now. But, um, it, I mean, besides the top five teams, but how top-heavy the, the East was at those times that making those trades was so significant towards... Uh, vaulting you into a position to compete for a title without uh, much competition. Because uh, thinking back to the Matumbo trade for Theo Ratliff and other people, I think uh, Tony Kukoc and Nazi Muhammad went to, uh, yep, to yep. Atlanta. Uh, I it, It's interesting because um, Matumbo really helped them. I mean, obviously Ratliff was hurt and they needed someone to fill in, you know, because he was playing well. I think he made the all-star team but couldn't play because he was injured. But um, Matampo really helped them. He did everything he was supposed to do. I, I, I did his uh, trade for Philadelphia to New Jersey, so I got to look through some of his Philadelphia numbers, especially during the finals run. And he, he just he, he played really well. He was a force. He rebounded, he blocked shots. Obviously, he was never like a great uh, low-post scorer, but he, he did his job. Um and he really helped them that year. I think it's just uh, after that, he, he he started to show signs of decline. Um, and I think that's why they felt the need to trade him after 
the second year when they struggled because Iverson was hurt a lot um, the year after their finals run. Uh, but that's definitely an impactful trade be- just because, I mean, Matumbo's, I mean, we see he just got nominated to Hall of Fame. He's definitely one of the best defensive centers. Uh, and Atlanta, on Atlanta's side, I always think of um, just Theo Ratliff never really ever got healthy. He was like that guy. Um, and he became Theo Ratliff's expiring contract. I remember Bill Simmons you always used to reference that. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, I like it. And that's one of the things that that it worked out for Philly at that time. And they needed somebody. And he was an experienced vet. So it definitely was something that, that worked out. Uh, and, and, and thinking about that, I mean, Philadelphia did not really have that much competition in the East at that time. I think the 2000-2001 season was really Philadelphia, Milwaukee. I mean, Toronto was sort of a surprise coming out of the East and. And New York, too, was sort of decent. I think they won 48 games. The East was really Philadelphia's for the taking. I mean, Milwaukee was really the only the serious threat. And they didn't have a low post presence. So it sort of allowed Matumbo to dominate. Uh, the second trade, that obviously the Rashid, is a, is a big one. And I always think about it because of how Detroit and Indiana really were the two powers of the East that year. And there weren't really many other teams in the East that were were, I would say, great. Indiana, I think, had the best record in the league that year. They won 61 games. And New Jersey was decent. I think they won their division. And Detroit was was, uh, right behind the Pacers. Or not right behind, but they won like 52, 53 games. Uh, the Rasheed Wallace trade definitely changed a lot with with um, Detroit. I mean, it's like one of the biggest deals ever. And, I mean, it always leads to that classic thing about uh, Rasheed playing one game in Atlanta. Um, I actually remember watching uh, that one game because it was local TV. And uh, the Nets, they played the Nets. And I remember watching him uh, play jack up shots with Steven Jackson and Jason Terry uh, uh, on the team, too. But uh, <laughs> What could have been? What could have been? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know. That was great. <laughs> that Hawks team was so weird in 04. I remember uh, they traded for Bob Sur- well, They got Bob Sura in the trade with Detroit. And I remember he uh, tried to do the Ricky Davis. He uh, threw the ball up to the rim and tried to force a triple-double because he had two triple-doubles in a row. And I think he tried to get a third triple-double in a row. And he threw a rebound, like he threw the shot, threw the ball at the rim and tried to get a rebound out of it um, at the opposite rim. Um, and I think the league took it away. I know this is a random uh, NBA fact stuff. <laughs> I do remember that. I, 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 yeah, they, I believe they did take it away, but I, I cannot confirm that. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> I remember the highlights. I remember the highlights. Yeah. So um, uh, the Rasheed Wallace trade for Detroit, I mean, it just made them so much more deeper. I mean, you you have Mehmet Okor off the bench, and he became an all-star, and you have all these guys. Corliss Williamson who's won six-man of the year. It's just a great collection of talent. And, I mean, Rasheed really was the – deciding factor in Detroit beating Indiana just from I mean Rip Hamilton played great in the series I think in the 04 conference finals but um Rashid was really just that low post presence he brought that swagger you know he I think he guaranteed a win in game two after they lost game one to Indiana and they won game two on the road at the Tayshaun Prince uh, shot block um of Reggie Miller and I don't know. I think the rest of it is just, I mean, the rest is history. He really uh, secured that championship for them and made them such a great low post presence. That's what I, that's what I definitely say. Um, is there anything else? 
I mean, from a long-term uh, perspective, I definitely say Rashid matters a lot to Detroit's success. Obviously, winning all those Eastern Conference Finals uh, or making the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, he's definitely a significant, uh, a significant trade, especially because of how much of a long-term impact he had on Detroit's uh, success for all of those years, including that first title that they won um, with that uh, group. Yeah. You know, funny thing, the there were two picks involved in that draft that Detroit traded. Uh, one of them ended up being Josh Smith, and then the other one was Tony Allen. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I really wish Basketball Reference didn't add that, where they tell you like what the picks ended up being, because now that's just a wormhole that I just never get out of, because it's like the greatest thing ever. Like When people are like, here, take our 2007 first-round pick, whatever, like in 1999, it's like, it's just guys that like shouldn't be on the same trade. You know, like you get these silly, silly ones, or you know, the, the famous one is the Kyrie Irving you know, for Baron Davis one or whatever, but I just love that they added those. Like There's so many weird ones, so many weird things that can happen, especially with the Euro guys, where like Marota, uh, Nikola uh, Mirotic or whatever is just in like 10 trades oh, before <laughs> he eventually finds his way to the Bulls. So you just like any page you go to in the 2000s that involves Houston or San Antonio or the Bulls or Phoenix, like he's there. His, his pick is just being bounced around. And I just love that. I, that that's one of my favorite things that they've added in basketball reference and favorite things about trades these days is just the picks and what they end up becoming is just, I love it. Yeah. And it's definitely, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard for me to uh, figure it out. And like, some are like, this guy got traded to from Detroit to Cleveland and then Cleveland gave the pick back because they <laughs> agreed to a separate trade or whatever. Like th- that happens a lot. Um, like trades from the nineties. I remember I did a Reggie Theus uh, from New Jer- from Orlando to New Jersey. And I remember seeing something where like when I was doing research on it, I think Orlando agreed in the trade that they wouldn't take somebody so that New Jersey would be able to draft. Or I think it was uh, for Dennis Scott so that Orlando would be able to draft Dennis Scott because they really wanted him um, in the draft. But a lot of these trades had these weird contingencies and then it ends up involving the draft pick. So it can always be so confusing. (laughs) All right. Well, um, Raphael, do you want to uh, let everybody know uh, – where they can uh, find you on the internet? Yeah, sure. Um, NBA trades, uh, dot Tumblr dot com. Uh, definitely working on some good stuff. Uh, I'm actually working on uh, Rick Pitino trades with the Celtics. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, no. Nice. <laughs> I know. That's why I... Those will be long. Yeah. Those will be long posts. <laughs> After doing the Isaiah Thomas uh, one, <laughs> uh, I definitely wanted to get back into doing some specifically focused on uh, certain GMs or coaches or certain eras of teams. Uh, but yeah, mbatrades.tumblr.com. Uh, you can check out the podcast. I haven't done one in a while. I've been meaning to do one, but. Uh, you know, uh, time constraints. Uh, is there anything else? Uh, follow NBA trades, NBA underscore trades on Twitter. I talk about what I'll just randomly <laughs> start talking about a trade that happened or something I'm researching and, or look back at some old YouTube clips of, uh, full games because I randomly watch old games. Uh, usually during the off season, the off season is when I do that more. Um, during the season, it's harder to be like, I want to watch a 90s game when there's so many available good basketball games on this year. Uh, but, um, but yeah, like uh, follow NBA trades, NBA underscore trades on Twitter. Uh, and, yeah, there's nothing else. Uh, yeah, whenever I have anything, definitely share it, post it on Twitter, and uh, 
and I'll and I'll share it with uh, the uh, people who love archives and love the old NBA stories. Excellent, man. Well, thank you uh, so much for uh, joining us to uh, talk about that. And uh, Rich and I will be back in a few moments with uh, more about uh, midseason trades. Great in places, want a piece of the pie. Good guy, bad guy, we each gotta die. It's all a game. Some will make the Hall of Fame, while others are die vain, trying to front for a name. Great in places, want a piece of the pie. Good guy, bad guy, we each gotta Hold die. Up. It's all a game. Some yeah. will make the Hall of Fame, while others living? are die vain, trying to front for a name. Dreams all right and we are back and we are talking uh each of us picked uh three trades that we think are you know particularly compelling particularly interesting kind of um looking at trades that at least were intended to uh benefit both sides and uh for the most part the bigger the better so uh rich what was your first trade yeah, and, and real quick, just clarification, what we and we mentioned a little bit on on the last podcast we did when we said we were going to talk about this topic is, or no, sorry, that was on uh, that was with um, uh, what was it, the I go hard, yeah. yeah, the I go hard now podcast, yeah, that we when we did that we talked about how one of the things that we wanted to focus on with this podcast is not the we traded a bunch of guys, you know, we traded a bunch of junk for a really good player, we traded a bunch of draft picks for a good player that that's interesting to some people and 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 there are times where that's fun to talk about and that, but we really wanted to look at ones that were intended at the time to say, hey, you know, we both want to get better, you know, we have this guy, you have this guy, you know, we have these three guys, you have and and let's try to improve our teams, not the we're just gonna get, grab these guys so we can suck forever, like the the, the we're gonna grab these guys so we can compete so we can win this year. I find that way more interesting especially to see how it works out in hindsight so that's sort of what we did if, if people are kind of curious why these you know these these trades seem like a particular breed of of deadline trade so just to clarify there um my first one is uh february 21st 2002 and this was uh i call it nick the quick comes to dallas and this was a uh a trade between the dallas mavericks and the denver nuggets they actually featured a lot of like marquee talent at the time i don't know if all of them were sort of you know there are a few that aren't in the peak of their career, but when you look at a trade of 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 good players, I mean, there's a lot of good guys that get moved in here. Um, just to give you an idea, uh, Dallas Mavericks in this trade, they uh, they receive at the end of it uh, Tariq Abdul Wahad, who at this point was pretty much nothing. And I, I'm going to go over a recap of, of kind of what these guys did after this trade. Uh, so they get uh, Dallas uh, Tariq Abdul Wahad, uh, Avery Johnson, Rafe LaFrenz, and Nick Van Exel. Uh, and going to Denver, so this is who Denver is going to receive, is Tim Hardaway, uh, Jawan Howard, uh, Donnell, or Donnell Harvey, and then a 2002 first-round pick, which ended up being Frank Williams from uh, Illinois. And we'll, we'll get into him a little bit. Uh, one of the things I wanted to look at, and I think you kind of did the same thing too when you look at these trades and why you enjoy them and that sort of stuff, is look at the records of the two teams beforehand and see where these two teams kind of were in their trajectory. And if you're familiar with the date and the time, you understand, hey, 2002, the Mavericks are pretty good. Why are they trading you know, half of their team or whatever? And yeah, they're 38 and 7. At this point, and Dallas is making this trade. Uh, Denver, less so, almost exactly opposite. They're 16 and 35. Um, interesting idea. I mean, the Dallas Mavericks, they went, they ended up going 19 and 8 the rest of that year. Um, Nick Van Uxel obviously wasn't long for that team. Um, Avery Johnson. Uh, I'll kind of, you know, actually here, let me let me run down each guy, you know, one by one to kind of give you an idea, and then I'll go back. I'll, I'll, I'll trace back and, and talk a little bit more um, about them. But obviously, one of the big deals was Dallas. Wanted to get younger quick. They wanted to do a few things. Tim Hardaway wasn't in their plans. They thought Nick Van Exel more dynamic player. At the time, Nick Van Exel was kind of controversial, though, because he wasn't a very good defensive player. And that would obviously bear bear true on Dallas. And Dallas went through a nice little two or three-year run where they were just 
a miserable defensive team under Don Nelson, but had scored would score like crazy. And then we'll talk a little bit about that because a lot of the stuff that they did uh, the next year kind of kind of plays into this. Um, but kind of going over the guys that Dallas got, uh, Tariq Abdul-Wahad at that point uh, was kind of a shell of, of what he was. Uh, he only played 18 games with the Mavericks, and this was at the absolute tail end of his career, and just never he never played again after this. Uh, Avery Johnson obviously um, had a little bit of a stint with the Mavericks, 65 games. Uh, only had about a .5 win shares, but it was during this time that he was starting to get groomed to be Don Nelson's heir apparent, to be a future head coach, to be a future assistant, whatever it may be. Uh, he ended up having a little quick stint after this with the Warriors, but immediately upon retiring to the Warriors, he became an assistant with Dallas. And obviously the rest of his history became Dallas's head coach, took him to the NBA Finals, you know, led them to the NBA's best record the year after, and then a first-round exit to Don Nelson's Warriors. So always some fun little stuff that happens there. But obviously this is a big deal for Avery Johnson. This is his first time in Dallas. So it, it, it kind of played a big part in Dallas's history. Uh, Rafe LaFrenz actually had a really good, uh, or actually rather I'd say a decent uh, run with Dallas. Uh, 7.7 win shares. Um, funny enough, though, he was traded the year um, the year after uh, for Antoine Walker. Um, and I, as I mentioned in my show notes, he was traded for Antoine Walker and his wonderful three-point stroke. Because if you're familiar with what happened when Antoine Walker went to the Dallas Mavericks, well, <laughs> he shot a lot of threes and shot them and loved them. And, and that was really the team... Um, well, actually, it plays right into here. Nick Van Exel, who uh, only had 5.5 win shares with Dallas, so didn't play a huge role with them. Uh, he he was really big in the playoffs, though. There was a playoff series where I remember he averaged something like 30 points. A game. I mean, he was putting over insane games and just being a, a, a huge part of them, making uh, you know pretty improbable runs in the playoffs and setting the stage for kind of the Dallas franchise that we'd see for a while. But the year after, he was traded for uh, Anton Jameson, and that sort of built this new Dallas Mavericks team that at the time when I was a kid, I thought that was the greatest team ever. I thought Anton Jameson, Antoine Walker, Steve Nash, Michael Finley, and Dirk, come on. Like, this team's going to be awesome. And Sean Bradley, like, how can this go wrong? And then I forgot, oh, wait, defense is also a part of basketball. I am 13, and I don't know that. I just assume you score and you win. Yeah. But I mean, yes, they were, the team, I'm sure they were a fun video game team. Oh, they were so good to play in NBA, uh, whatever, NBA 2K. This would be NBA 2K, uh, 2K3, right? I would guess would so, be yeah. At that point? Or 2K4. 2K4 probably, yeah, it'd be yeah. 2K, yeah, yeah, it'd be 2K4 at that point. I remember, because I, I played with Dallas anyway at that time. So when this happened, I was like, oh, it's over. Like, so I went online. I I, I was, that was actually my best, uh, yeah, now, now I, I do know it's 2K4, because I played that game to death, you, you know, online and doing stuff like that. And I know I was, I was big. That was my team because I was like, you can't stop this team. And then I watched real games and I was like, wait a minute, like, why are they giving up 115 points a game? And I was like, all right, yeah, duh, they they need defense. So uh, kind of interesting. Um, this trade really did shape Dallas's team for a while and ended up, you know, Anton Walker and Jameson were not there for long. Big transitions, but this was a weird period in Dallas where like it almost seemed every single year they were trying all new things. And then they finally got some stability with Dirk, you know, with Nash for a little bit until he left. But it was basically Dirk that became the the the, the true true leader. Of that team eventually, but um, this here real quick, uh, Denver Nuggets. Obviously, after this trade, uh, they weren't a good team before, and they were equally bad afterwards. They went eleven and twenty for the rest of the year. Uh, Tim Hardaway, yes. If you don't remember the Tim Hardaway Denver Nuggets run, I will not blame you because he only had fourteen games in Denver. Uh, his career was winding down fast. Uh, he was kind of a nothing at this point. Uh, I know he bounced around a few other places before. I think he went to Indiana at one point. But uh, yeah, this this was kind of the end of the road for Tim Hardaway. Uh, one fun fact that I don't remember at all, I don't know if you have any recollection of this, I found this uh, when searching for this. Uh, it, while playing with the Nuggets, Hardaway was suspended for two games and fined $10,000 by the league when he threw a television monitor on the court. I wonder what uh, brought that up. <laughs> like, I, I tried to figure that. I couldn't find a video. I couldn't find anything else. I just found this little nugget in like an SI vault thing that was talking about how he, he was enraged, so he threw a, a, a monitor on the floor. So I, <laughs> it's like, he, which has got to be a, like, yeah. 
It's like he's yeah, he's dude. like you know putting the you know he's like in a wrestling match like he's throwing the yeah, monitor exactly yeah. right usually like out the announcer's table and then he just yeah he <laughs> drives Antonio McDice through the table yeah like, maybe and that's why Antonio McDice was always hurt probably yeah, so right. now we that, that makes sense <laughs> that logic checks makes... out yeah <laughs> but like whose monitor did he steal like what what guy didn't have a monitor then that that kind of sucks I don't but... know anyway yeah. Uh, Juwan Howard, who obviously was a big part of this trade, I mean, a big star at this point, or, or not, I, I, I'll stop at star. <laughs> missed, big... You know, let's calm down a little bit. Yeah, well, yeah. it's just weird, and that's what's always interesting about Juwan Howard is you look at his contracts, you look at what he was and what he should be, and and a lot of what you think about, he just never really ever had a run with one team that you were like, yeah, that was really good, you know, like that. He he was always weird though, because he was really like okay, he was always very very good, but just never stuck around with teams. Uh, Denver was no <laughs> exception. He uh, he only got seven point six win shares while with Denver. Not a long tenure. He after this moved on to one year in Orlando. Uh, a year and a half later, he bounced around again, and he was just he was just all over the place. He he was never could really put his foot down in any one place. But but Denver, he he didn't do much here, and that was a big centerpiece of the trade. Uh, Donald Harvey, three point six win shares with Denver. Not a bad year and a half run, but it's Donald Harvey. Who cares? Um, <laughs> and then the two thousand two first round pick. I wanted to mention Frank Williams, who uh, was out of Illinois guard. Um, interestingly enough, he was traded by the Denver Nuggets with Antonio McDice. For 2003, a uh, second-round pick, which just happened to be you know, a no-name thing or whatever. But who they got was pretty interesting. Uh, he was traded to the New York Knicks for Marcus Camby, Nene, and Mark Jackson. So ah, it all comes down Nene to Mark, it all comes around to Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson, there's a lot of seven. I mean, for a guy that I always am, always think is synonymous with a few teams, like that lasts like five years of his career, just everywhere. He just went every. I mean, he is he becomes sort of that Kevin Bacon, you know, the 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 separation, the degrees of separation with that, because like, yeah, you you know him as a Nick, you know him as a Pacer or whatever, but man, he bounced around a lot at the end, tried, including like multiple times to the Knicks. Yeah, so that tried to lead as the revolt against uh, John Stockton in Utah. <laughs> oh right, yeah, totally. yeah. So he he did a lot of things. So I forgot about yeah, that. That was an interesting strategy. Fine. And I, I do remember this trade at the time too, because Nene just came out. Nene was just this like fresh face, like Brazilian prospect or whatever. And at that point, it's still like, boo, anybody from America, they like they can't be good. Like they're from, you know. So I remember him coming out and people obviously in New York booing him because <laughs> that, that is so I know you're shocked that the New York uh, draft crowd would boo somebody, but yeah, I remember Nene Hilario getting picked and everybody's booing him. And I was I was laughing. I was like, he looks okay. It looks yeah. like not bad. Obviously, he's got like short hair at the time. He's like a little fresh-eyed, like 18-year-old, but always kind of funny. That's always a memory that I have is them just booing him like crazy and him just being like, I don't understand. Like, why am I getting booed? So so that's my first trade is the Nick Van Exel, Juwan Howard, Dallas, Denver mess. And and Denver, obviously, it was many, many years before they would actually be pretty good. All those guys were kind of gone, and it would be until they drafted Carmelo Anthony that they really became a consistent winner because that th- this crap didn't really work out. Nor did the, let's get, uh, you know, Marcus Camby, oh, or no, let's have Antonio McDice. Oh, he gets hurt too much. Let's acquire Marcus Camby and see how that works out. Oh, wait. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> like, okay. Well. Like, let's get let's get big men who have feet. Like, that's that's our goal for the next year is, is big men with feet. So there you go. So uh, my first trade is the is uh, from February twenty fifth, nineteen eighty eight, and it is the Cleveland Cavaliers and Phoenix Suns. Uh, basically, the um, the the Suns getting uh, Tyrone Corbin, uh, Mark West, a draft pick that turned into Dan Marley, and uh, and most importantly Kevin Johnson. 
um, and a couple other second round picks that didn't really add up to much um, for uh, Larry Nance, uh, Mike Sanders, and a uh, first round pick turned into Randolph Keys, who I have not heard of. So I'm assuming was not that. Important. I was going to make a, a WCW 2001 joke, but only you and then maybe a few of the people that listen about oh, Mike Sanders, but the, the, above average Mike, Mike Sanders, Sanders but above average. Yeah. So I'm glad you get that. And then there's going to be like two other people that are like, oh, sweet, an above average Mike Sanders reference. And then 95% of the other people that listen have no idea. So I will stop right now. But all right. All right. Well, that, that's more well, that me, was an so. above average joke, Rich. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so uh, this was like part of a huge overhaul for the Suns. They also traded J- James Edwards to Detroit and they traded uh, Jay Humphreys to Milwaukee for Craig Hodges. Uh, basically in 24 hours, they brought in 24 players who, along <laughs> with Tom Chambers, who was a free agent signee, they would go from 54 losses in one year to 55 wins the next year and a berth in the Western conference finals. That is gunslinging at its finest. Yeah, there you go. So, um, they also, yeah, they traded coaches. They, they had Cotton Fitzsimmons as a coach the next year. Um, so they, they kind of turned it around. They made some, um, Western conference, uh, finals appearances for the next two seasons um eventually uh were sort of a mid-50s win team for four straight years and they traded for charles barkley and made the finals in 93 and you know made some deep playoff runs again but obviously never could win a championship but however you know basically you know kevin johnson dan marley and mark west were you know a strong foundation for a you know a a perennial playoff team for the next almost the next decade so you know definitely a good trade from there and but on the other hand, you know, also a, a strong trade, I think, from um, from Cleveland's perspective, because Larry Nance was he was 29 at that point. So um, he was a um, sort of an underrated player, I think, but a you know very a good defender, athletic, um, good dunker, um, you know, and had and still had a number of years in um, in Cleveland, uh, like. <clears throat> three or four more effective years in um, Cleveland, actually more than that. You had two all-star years and, um, and played uh, six and a half seasons in uh, Cleveland. Um, his last year was, he had a lot of injuries, but um, you know, and they were a franchise that, you know, had, had a pretty similar um, str- strong player other than sort of an odd fall off in uh, 91. They, you know, they, um, would always of course run into the bulls or, or usually run into the bulls through the nineties, but they definitely had like a, you know, uh, they Eastern conference final was run in 92 and, you know, you know, had some tough playoff series. So I, you know, it, it was definitely a better trade for Phoenix, but it was a pretty good trade for Cleveland as well. And um, one tidbit I like on this trade is uh, it's from a New York times article um, when the trade was announced, all the players had to do was change dressing rooms and introduce themselves to their new coaches and change uniforms because they actually uh, were playing that night of the uh, trade. Of course, <laughs> those are the best. They couldn't actually play for their teams because, you know, they did clear physicals and stuff. And um, each team suited up eight uh, players. But um, it's kind of funny. Also, at the time, Nance's scoring average was uh, uh, just a bit more than those of West Corbin and Johnson combined. So. Uh, it's just funny how Nance was used at the time versus how the other three players were used. And of course they would be a, a good player. And there's an article from the next season, an AP article talking about, you know, um, Kevin Johnson's rise to stardom. And he was really good. And at that point, the Cavs had the best record in the East and the Suns had the best second best record in the uh, West. 
Uh, and like I said, the Suns made the conference finals that year, but were swept by the Lakers. The Cavs ended up 55 and 27, but lost to the Bulls in the uh, first round. So, um, and, uh, you know, so yeah. And then, you know, the Cavs, the, that was Mark Price, Brad Doherty, John Hot Rod Williams, Ron Harbor, and Craig Elo, you know, a, a strong team. A lot of those guys were drafted in 86. So that was a really strong draft for the, uh, and, you know, I don't know, um, you know, obviously like Kevin Johnson ends up being, you know, having a borderline hall of fame career and being a really great player, but you know, obviously he would have been behind Mark Price in that situation. So I'm not sure yeah. that yeah, he's a 21 year old rookie at this point too. For people that that, that aren't aware, I right, mean, he, exactly. he's still he's still young. It's still his rookie year, and he he didn't come into the league and was immediately you know scoring 20 and and yeah. a great assist or anything like that. I mean, he was Although, I think his, he was averaging his, a little. Yeah, I mean, second year he really I mean he did pick it up and became oh, yeah, great. Right. But yeah, it, it was definitely a a trade. I think that. You could probably assume he was going to be very good, but at the time, it's not like they traded a 20-point-per-game, you know, 19-point-per-game guy. I mean, he was still right. still a rookie, still young. But, yeah, you could sort of assume that it was going to kind of happen looking at his college numbers and looking at, you know, how quickly then he he became a star. But but just in case, I mean, just so people know, it wasn't, uh, you know, that he, he wasn't a, a, an obvious budding star or an obvious star at the time. Yeah, and, and traded, Nance but. was, like I said, is, is a better player than I think he is historically regarded. I mean, he really did have some, you know, some, some strong – some strong seasons was a was a really good player. Won the first NBA dunk contest. So yes, yeah, was really good. Always a really good dunker. He's one that when I go back and, and watch, he's always one that that it his dunks age well. Yeah, and he's always got. I'm like, man, he doesn't really get a whole lot of credit. I mean, that's I, every year when I watch those old dunk on. I'm like, man, Larry Nance is a really good like really good dunker. Then I was looking at his numbers. I'm like, yeah, Larry Nance is a really good player. Yeah, like, he's like 21. He nine. just kind of get yeah. lost in the. Sh- he's like a, a one of those dudes that just gets lost in the shuffle of like the time when he was the time when he was around. It was just like, dude, there's there's no more room for any more stars. Like there there are already too many good ones. Yeah, out there. So well, so it's a little unfortunate, but but he's yeah still a good player though. You know, everything in the West was overshadowed by the Lakers for most of it. Right. So, I mean, there was. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You, you weren't you weren't gonna get your head above water there. So. Not so much. Unfortunately, no. So, all right. Well, what is your next trade? All right, my next trade is March 11th, 1999. This is uh, I'm titling "Everybody Gets a New Point Guard," and this trade is a massive one. This is a massive three-team trade. I'm gonna break down the guys here real quick, and then I'm gonna do some quotes that are pretty interesting about this. I'm gonna do less of kind of analysis of what happened before and after, and 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 more of how this trade happened, and 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 one guy in particular that sort of forced his hand with this trade. But uh, the trade is Minnesota. Uh, they're receiving or in the end of this trade, they get Terrell Brandon, Brian Evans, who. We'll get Brian Evans nothing. And then a 1999 first-round pick, which ended up being Wally Zerbiak. So there you go. Uh, the New Jersey Nets in this trade received Chris Carr, Bill Curley, which I can do another Curly Bill WCW reference. Boom. That's two. <laughs> nice. In case you're curious. Um, <laughs> Elliot Perry, who, yeah. And then uh, Stefan Marbury. So big trade. So essentially Minnesota, Terrell Brandon, New Jersey, Stefan Marbury. We'll go into that. Milwaukee out of this trade, they received Paul Grant. Sam Cassell and Chris Gatling. So they actually got uh, two decent players there in Chris, uh, Sam Cassell and Chris Gatling and then Paul Grant, who who wasn't a, nothing. But it's kind of an interesting trade. I, I know um, I was looking through the SI vault to see, and, and Jackie McCollum does a, an awesome piece on how this trade became, who may, who wanted this trade to happen, what the GMs thought. And in particular, Kevin McHale, who was the uh, Minnesota GM at the time, pulls absolutely no punches in the fact that <laughs> they were not happy about having to make this trade. But essentially, that's Stefan Marbury all but forced them to do it, and his agent David Falk, who's who's very famous for you know being Michael Jordan's agent and that sort of stuff, and how he sort of forced it as well. Yeah. So interesting sort of stuff. So I want to read a few of the quotes. Richard Furry said, "I just I can't imagine a player trying to demand a, a trade, uh, you know, this day and age. That that would you know, would never happen." 
Oh, I know. It's ridiculous. I mean, that, that can you imagine, like, imagine you're a point guard on a team that looks, I mean, that looks like it has a chance to be good or, or you know, possibly, you know, was good last year in the West, but just can't get, you know, slightly above water. And then you're going to request a trade. It's, it's unbelievable. It is. <laughs> it is literally unbelievable. I, mean, I just, I refuse to believe it. So, um, Anyway, so here's kind of the the, the quotes, uh, and, and Jackie, like I said, did an awesome, awesome job with this, and uh, I can link it if people are interested, and just just tweet at us if you, if you're interested, or if you just go to SI Vault and look up Stefan Marbury trade or something, I think it's going to come up right away. Um, she here's what it, the the Coney Island native forced the Timberwolves to trade him to New Jersey last Thursday after providing them with a short list of acceptable destinations: New York, New Jersey, or Los Angeles. <laughs> That's my how times have changed, thankfully. Yes. Uh, Marbury, though, through his agent, David Falk, forced Minnesota's hands by threatening to walk at season's end and sign with the Bulls. Thank God that didn't happen. <laughs> Wait till you see what this awesome power team that, that David Falk was trying to put together here. Uh, he couldn't believe Marbury, he is, is Kevin McHale, uh, would forsake a team that was developing into a championship contender for Dynasty in the Ruins. Dynasty in the Ruins, obviously, is New Jersey. Upon hearing that McHale was prepared to call Marbury's bluff, Falk, who refused to deal with McHale, <laughs> informed Minnesota owner Glenn Taylor, I can put together my own team in Chicago. The implication was that Falk would dump his stable of free agents, among them Stefan Marbury, Nets guard Kerry Kittles, and Cavalier center Vitaly Potapenko into the lap of Chicago manager Jerry Krause. Yeah. Good old, does that game? Good old, does that team win more than thirty games? Good, like, like the good old MKP, you know, tandem, the famous uh, Marbury, Kittles, and Potapenko. <laughs> like, like that's your threat. Like, well, I'll just create the super team if you don't do it. Like, yeah, that I, that team would not win more than thirty games. Uh, well, maybe, maybe, no in the, maybe, well, maybe in '99 at the lockout year they would have won. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that team is no good. Vitaly Potapenko, that's your ch- bargaining chip. Well, you know what? I'm going to take Vitaly Potapenko elsewhere if that's what we're going to do here. So, yeah. all right. Uh, last quote uh, here. Uh, there is no denying Marbury's talent, but there is room to question his priorities and his commitment to winning. Marbury told SI in January 1998 that he was thinking of bolting Minnesota his contract was up because of the weather and because he missed his New York friends. The news stunned the Minnesota Timberwolves front office, who, which later discovered that Marbury had made those comments just days after a local nightclub spot refused to serve him alcohol because he was underage. His quote then was, They give me my own table in New York, Marbury reportedly fumed <laughs> between explosives. Yes. So he was upset that they would not let him drink underage. And then uh, there, there was another uh, interesting quote I, I tweeted mean, out earlier. I mean, to be earlier. fair, what else is there to do in Minnesota besides drink? I, no, I mean, I'm, I'm a, the Mall of America. Oh, that's true. That's true. You can go to Hulk Hogan's Pasta Mania, which I'm assuming is still there. So I, I'm assuming. Why would it not <laughs> still be there? I mean, uh, fast food pasta at yeah, the Mall of America. Pretty, sounds pretty good. I'm just kidding, Minnesota. Um, I've never actually been to Minnesota. Well, no, I don't know I drove It sounds like it's probably a fine I, town, It's so. great. I watched Fargo last night, so it just made me think of cold. So... Yeah, I don't like it. Cold's no good. Yeah. It's like five degrees outside right now. Yeah, me, it's so it's going to be like negative like 25 tomorrow. Yeah, that's wind, tomorrow. Oh, wind yeah. chill wise. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to kill tomorrow. So, uh, anyway, Yay. there was one last quote that I wanted to bring up, and it's Kevin McHale just kind of turning the knife on Marbury. Is uh, there was a quote where Marbury said he didn't want to be in Minnesota because he felt like he wasn't on TV enough, like he wasn't, in, you know, a star or whatever. Um, and McHale said, you know, it, it's not where you play, it's if you win. Well, you know, when you win, you get on TV. That's the, basically what it is. And they said, like, Steph just kind of shrugged it off and said, no, no, no I'm going to be, I'm, you know, it's New York, it's New Jersey, that's where my friends are, all that sort of stuff. So McHale responds with, I wonder if Steph has noticed that the Nets are 3 and 15. If he wants to be on TV with them, he better get cable. There you go. <laughs> that's an NBA, that's an NBA GM. Yeah. He, he, swinging a. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, yeah. Well, Mikhail wasn't exactly known for being diplomat. So, <laughs> no. So that's just, yeah. Just bearing the nuts. I'm assuming he didn't make too many more trades with the nets after the, after that, but maybe not. I, I don't know. But, um, real quickly here, 
Uh, as mentioned, the New Jersey Nets were three and fifteen. Uh, Jason, do you know who their head coach was at this time? Um, well, I know because you have it written down right here. I oh, you're looking. Notes, Damn but, it! Um, I don't see your little scroller. I, I don't see their Google Docs scroller. Oh uh, but... yeah, I'm 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 very sneaky. Um, it, it I probably could have guessed, but John Calipari. Yes, still famous John Calipari was. Uh, he was fired two yeah. uh, two losses later, yeah. and that's worth three and fifteen at this time. He's do- his team is better now. Yes, uh, this current team is 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 much better the, 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 almost better than kentucky, the current new jersey nets yeah, kentucky <laughs> um uh yeah i hear from people who talk about college basketball say they are good i don't watch college basketball but they're they're a fun team to watch because they um what happened was and i and i very very minimally so i'm probably completely yeah. wrong about this and, and someone can tell me but I, I watch a little bit and especially i try to watch them as much as i can because essentially what happened was calipari and you know what he does he brings in these crop of guys sure. that that he knows are going to the nba or whatever well he assumed all this crop last year was going to go to the NBA. So he brings in this like awesome class of guys and like half his dudes stay. So he's got like 15 guys that are really good. And like 10 of them are like all staters and like all Americans. And so he just runs out like rotations of five, just like five all Americans just come out. And like, it's just unbelievable the depth that they have. Like anyone on their bench is better than everybody else on any other team. Like it's just, it's ridiculous how good they are. And, and there's like a few guys, you know, like Jalil Okafor and Duke or whatever, but Pretty much, like they're, they're there's a reason they're twenty four and zero or twenty five and zero or whatever it is right now. I mean, they're 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 a powerhouse. But uh, real quickly, uh, Minnesota Timberwolves, um, they they get a little bit. They they do okay. This was a team that was okay for a while and was really looking to get on that next next cusp. And that was a big thing is that Marbury and Garnett was going to be it. And and obviously it, it didn't happen and ended up being Terrell Brandon. And Terrell Brandon was was for most of his career a really good player. The big problem with him is health, and he never quite got there. He had a twenty three point one win shares with. Minnesota, though, which is pretty damn good considering that, you know, he's largely considered just, you know, being so injury prone. Um, one of the interesting parts about this, though, and, and and it was mentioned in another SI article, is this season, you know, his, his tenure, his run with the Wolves coincided with Chauncey Billups coming to the Wolves. And a big part of what, what Billups said made him a great point guard was sitting there and talking and learning from Terrell Brandon. So that's a very interesting part that he can always kind of look look finally on that. Uh, Brian Evans, uh, he played 24 minutes for the Wolves and was waived like uh, two days later. So that didn't do too much. Uh, the 1999 first-round pick turned into Wally Zerbiak, who's a huge part of the uh, Timberwolves you know, success throughout the uh, mid-2000s. Uh, 41 win shares total as a member of the Wolves. Um, and a, a fact that you brought up uh, about a week or so ago, uh, he set at one point the Timberwolves franchise record with uh, 44 points, and this was on April 13th, 2003. It was since been broken by Kevin Love, and then who else broke it this year, sir? Uh, well, it, Corey Brewer broke it last year, and then Mo Williams. Oh, that's right. And yes, then Mo sorry. Williams broke it this year, and uh, this is the first. I can only assume this is the first time that a team has traded its two um, franchise scoring leaders in the same season. Someone can look that up. I, I try to look it up. I don't know how the hell you could figure that out. That's got to be an Elias like Sports Bureau thing. Like, yeah. Like just have somebody just pour over books to try to this figure it out. This is the Jason Sports Bureau, buddy. Yeah, and and no, I agree. I I hey, look, how could that possibly happen any other time? I, like, you know what I mean? Like that, yeah. that'd be really hard to have. It would be difficult. And it can only be a franchise like the Wolves or something like that. But sure. But anyway, um, the New, Jer- the New Jersey Nets, obviously, after this trade, I'm not going to go over Chris Carr, Bill Curley, and Elliot Perry. You don't care about them. They don't matter. Stefan Marbury, maybe you care about them in case one of them is listening. Thank you for listening. But yes. uh, <laughs> in case Elliot Perry is listening, I apologize. Uh, Stefan Marbury, though, obviously his Nets tenure, uh, 19.2 win shares. Uh, he became a, a, an all-star and became sort of a household name. People were, were more aware of Stefan Marbury in New Jersey, so he was kind of right in that respect. But the Nets didn't get you know dramatically better with him. They were okay, but they weren't that good. Uh, he ended up getting moved to Phoenix for Jason Kidd. And obviously when Jason Kidd came, 
coupled with Richard Jefferson and Kenyon Martin, that's when the Nets went to consecutive NBA Finals. Became a a, a, a pretty good team, a team that I think benefited from a very weak East because that team is not really good. And obviously their finals appearances proved that they weren't very good because they got beat pretty good. Uh, but Stefan Marbury obviously has turned, uh, went to New York, had a bunch of issues there, but has turned, uh, parlayed that into a, a legendary career, like an absolutely legendary career in Chinese basketball, the Chinese Basketball Association. I believe he has statues of him. And yeah. he's like, I, if you look at his playoff, yeah, like point yeah. per game, yeah. He's, he, there's like one year where he had like 37 points in the playoffs. Like that's just, I, I love it. I'd love to see a lot of video of Stefan Marbury playing in Chinese. I'm sure he exists. I'm sure. Yeah. I, I've seen a little bit of clips. I've never seen like a full game. I've just seen like highlights or whatever, yeah. but he seems like he's had, I mean, hell of a hell of a time. I mean, I'm glad that he, cause he was a guy, I mean, really was always sort of taken very weird in, in America. Nobody really knew how to handle him. He was sort of a, I don't want to because he wasn't really a bad boy in that sense, but he was sort of, you know how I'm trying to, I, I don't know like, how to describe maybe, maybe him. Maybe flaky. Yeah, I guess that's the right word. Yeah. Like he wasn't a, a bad guy. There wasn't anything yeah. bad about him, but he was just like we, like people couldn't get a handle on him. And they mentioned even in this article, Kevin McHale just mentions on like a daily basis, you weren't sure what Marbury you were gonna get. Like sometimes he was super hyper focused and was great, and then other times he was just floaty, and it was like you never knew what you were gonna get out of the guy. But no, I'm I'm, I'm happy to hear about that. Yeah. Um, Milwaukee, obviously, this trade was a big deal for them because Sam Cassell coming to there. Uh, Paul Grant played five minutes, so that was pretty awesome. Uh, Chris Gatling, he only played 30 games to them, bounced around the league for, for a little bit um, wow. after that. But Sam Cassell uh, played a big part in Milwaukee's history. Um, he got 38.6 win share, or 36.2 win shares. And then, um, obviously, on the, on the mid-2000s or the early 2000s bucks, uh, they almost reached the NBA Finals in 2001. And Sam Cassell, at this point, basically firmly established himself as a top-tier point guard in the league, would then go to a few other teams throughout his career, you know, you know, really just be a, a, a staple of the NBA after that. I mean, he was to a point before that, but this was, I thought, really, I thought the Milwaukee run was one of his better runs and one that he, I always feel I'm, I'm kind of synonymous with him. I thought when he really sort of put it all together was, was that run, but. Yeah. Absolutely. And of course, then it had some success in uh, in Minnesota later. Yep. Yeah, yep. we'll go to Minnesota and, and form the oh, that team. I really wanted that team to win. There was that year with Lichelle, like Charles Sprewell was awesome. Cassell was great. Wally's world was was. Yeah. And Garnett, of course. Oh, oh those Timberwolves. It's probably because their jerseys were so bad. That probably. <laughs> there you go. If they didn't have trees on the side of their jerseys, they probably could have won. They probably would have. Yeah. That's but... that's the lesson. Uh, you Very few teams win a championship with the bad jersey. Right. I mean, yeah, you look at the, the Vancouver Grizzlies. Proof trees do not equal. No, <laughs> just don't have trees. The, no trees. I recommend not having trees in your jersey. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my second trade is uh, a infamous day in Atlanta Hawks franchise history where the Hawks traded a Dominique Wilkins and a 1994 first round pick, which later turned into Greg Miner. I know Greg Miner fans, a lot, a lot of them here. Uh, for Danny Manning, to the Clippers for Danny Manning. So um, this is weird because the Hawks were 36 and 16. They were in a tie for the best record in the East. Um, and the Hawks to try, they are uh, apparently the only team in NBA history to trade their leading score while having the best record in their conference. <laughs> um, he, now, That's so Hawks. <laughs> now he was 34 at the time. Yeah. They were, um, he was coming off, he'd, he'd torn his ACL the year, bef the year before or come back from it the year before. So he'd had, you know, within the, the previous year or two, had come back from it, was still playing well, but was, you know, at, at a point in his career where, you know, he wasn't going to be carrying the team for too much longer. Um, so it did make sense to think about the future a little bit. 
Um, and Danny Manning, it actually played pretty well. Led the Clippers to a, yeah. a couple of playoff exper- a, a couple of playoff seasons w- with Larry Brown there. Um, they yeah made it for the first time in 16 years um, in '92, back when they were the Buffalo Braves. Um, so it it is a it's a trade where the perception has gotten much worse with age. Um, and but. On the other hand, it is it, it, in many ways it is still very baffling. Um, it, it's funny reading the, the quotes of the time because Dominique has talked about like you know just how horribly disappointed he was by doing it. He always wanted to be in Atlanta, um, and so on and so forth. But you know, quotes of the time are say, "Oh, the reception has been unbelievable. They've given me more respect here than I ever got in Atlanta. Um, I always wanted to be in LA." Um, the Clippers have talent, but you need leadership. Someone to step forward. I will do that for the Clippers. It, it, obviously, like he's just making the best of it or whatever. But it's funny to hear him talk about it now versus what he said then. Um, and uh, another interesting thing is that Manning, um, depending on who you asked, um, I mean, apparently they traded for Manning, who was, was going to be a free agent as well. Without, I mean, they they obviously didn't come to a formal agreement with him, but it is baffling in retrospect that they, because one thing they they say that they thought that they would sign him, and then um, later apparently their GM Pete Babcock, who's sort of infamously a bad GM in Atlanta and Toronto, um, later was quoted as saying that. Um, Lenny and I are disappointed that Danny is not coming back, but we were prepared for it. We made the trade with the understanding he wouldn't be back, which <laughs> is just like now we just wanted those four months of, of sure. Danny Manning just because yeah, just because they'd be cause, fun. Cause they thought <laughs> well, they, I guess they thought that Manning, who was like eight years younger, would be a better would be better for the playoff run. And the funny thing about that is that there's an SI article from the time right after the trade, and, and the the quotes are are almost hilarious from it. Um, where I'm going to paraphrase it, where Wilkins um, is a small forward who can fill up the basket. Manning is, he's 27, uh, versatile. He's six foot 10 front court player who can fill up an entire box score and says where Wilkins and Willis often clashed uh, over the ball. Manning welcomes help with the scoring load and where Wilkins was the human highlight film. Manning is the living instructional video so sound and aware that Lenny Wilkins envisions running much of the offense through him once he learns it. It's really funny to see Danny Manning sort of be as, you know, like as Wilkins be portrayed as like this petulant, you know, gunner and will and Manning be like this, you know, panacea, this great, you know, like, Oh, he's, he's going to, we, we're going to share the ball with him. Yeah, right yeah. yeah. That's how you described him. Duncan. It's, it's hilarious that, in retrospect, that being the way that it was at least viewed in this article, you know, very briefly. And it's, it's a good trade. Honestly, if it, it's a good trade if you sign Danny Manning. If, if you, uh, with the implicit idea of, hey, let's sign Danny Manning for the long term or something like, you know, it's, you have something worked out or you know, yeah. it, then it's a, it, it, a no-doubter. It's, I mean, it's, it's a good basketball trade in, in that respect. Although giving up the first-round pick might be a bit much. But, uh, it, yeah, it's a good basketball trade. But, but just from a perspective of, like, you know, Wilkins has been the guy who's just like by far the the greatest, or at least you know the most famous, the greatest Atlanta Hawk of all time. To treat him that way, to trade him to the word to the you know the dregs of the NBA to the worst team, you know, um, 
for doing that. That's just that obviously is like a just a terrible you know PR move. Just in Atlanta, the Hawks still it still affects the relationship with the Hawks um, have with the city to this day. You know, so so from that perspective. But I I do agree with you. Like it's a defensible basketball trade if they if they are able to keep Manning, um, mm-hmm. who would have played pretty well. Now, they were able to kind of rebuild a, a couple of summers later. They get um, Dikembe Mutombo. Uh, they, and, you know, they have Augman. They get Steve Smith. Um, and they're able to kind of have a decent run in the later half of the 90s. So they're able to kind of emerge from this without too much damage being done. But, you know, it is, but at least from a, you know, a perspective of just, you know, losing their um, top star and, you know, losing, uh, you know, the best thing that they had going on. Um, you know, it was a terrible trade from that perspective. Yeah. And yeah, you it, it's hard to lose those when you, the face of the franchise trades are, are always tough. I mean, I don't right. know if there's ever a really good time to do them. Yeah. And in this case, I mean, it, the, one time it is not a good time to do them is when you're in first place. Uh, that's and, yeah. That's and, what I was kind of have at. your there's best times yeah. where it's like, where you can sort of, in a lot of ways they do this, a lot of franchises do this, where they'll sort of spin it, even if the guy doesn't agree, they're like, you know, we wanted to have him have a chance to make the playoffs, or, oh, his career's winding, you know, we, we wanted him to get one last chance at an NBA Finals run, or, or or something like that, you know, but that's not really what happened here, it was kind of like, and, and honestly, yeah, it wasn't a bad basketball trade, but yeah, when you don't re-sign the guy and you only last four months with him, so you traded, you know, one of your franchise's most iconic players for four months of Danny Manning, eh, that's... That's not so good, <laughs> but right. yeah, Atlanta's uh, going to Atlanta. I mean, Manning I mean, was actually pretty good. I mean, and he was pretty good afterward, although he had some injuries uh, yeah. later. And um, you know, it was good for pretty good for Phoenix. But um, yeah, it it just like it is a um, yeah, it, it didn't work out well. <laughs> no, it was uh, unfortunate for yeah. them. But uh... so. Um, although well, speaking of uh, Wil- oh, Wilkins did, he was able to go, uh, he was able to go back with his former coach from the Hawks, Bob Weiss, who was the Clippers coach. So, uh, Oh, there you go. Yeah, okay. Uh, Good. Nice reading for them. So, all right. Um, so what's your, uh, what is your last trade? Well, here, this one is another one that didn't uh, didn't go particularly well for a lot of the same reasons as the Danny Manning one. So it's good that we kind of segued from from these two. Uh, and I call this one Jesus Leaves Milwaukee. Uh, this is February 20th, 2003, and this is the trade, the famous one, Ray Allen, Gary Payton. Here's the guys that kind of went uh, on the move here. Uh, Seattle received in this trade Ray Allen, Ronald Flip Murray, Kevin Ali, and then a 2003 first-round pick, which tuned into Luke Ridnour. Uh, and then Milwaukee received out of this trade Gary Payton and Desmond Mason. So interestingly enough, when I picked this trade – I just kind of picked it because it's always been one that's interesting for me. This is a you know an interesting idea that that you know they trade you know Milwaukee trades a franchise corner or you know to that point a franchise cornerstone in, in Ray Allen, a guy who you know nearly got them to the NBA Finals for a while, a guy that was synonymous in the early part of his career with you know Milwaukee, and then Seattle trades an absolute franchise cornerstone in Gary Payton, a famous player. I mean, a famous throughout the '90s NBA Finals. That's what we're talking. I mean, Gary Payton. You think Gary Payton? You immediately, you probably should think the Seattle SuperSonics. If you think, you know, anything else, I, I, I look at you poorly. But you know, you know, I mean, that's he's sort of synonymous with that franchise and 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 that you know everything that comes with it. So to have this trade go down, it was very interesting. It almost seemed like kind of a challenge trade. I wasn't exactly sure why it happened. So in my research, I looked up and I always kind of assumed that Milwaukee was getting rid of Ray Allen for, for whatever purposes they were. And I remember there was some issues with George Carl at the time 
But I was never even sure why Milwaukee wanted to take on Gary Payton. I thought, okay, you know what? They were bringing on an older Gary Payton because they wanted his contract to expire because he was an unrestricted free agent. And then he was going to expire and they were going to use that extra cap space and kind of rebuild and do that sort of stuff because they had faltered a little bit. But then when I look up in the SI vault, which is why the SI vault is the greatest thing ever, I come to find out that Milwaukee wanted Gary Payton. So Milwaukee GM Ernie Grunfeld called Seattle and said, what would it take to get Gary Payton? Um, the uh, yeah. <laughs> Seattle responded back with Ray Allen, assuming, you know, like, hey, Ray Allen, yeah, you know. And then Ernie Grunfeld called him back and said, yeah, let's talk. Let's do Ray Allen, you know, Gary Payton, let's talk about some numbers. So always a really fascinating thing to me. Uh, what sort of happened a lot of the reasons, uh, Bucks coach George Carl did not like uh, Ray Allen. He even mentioned in this qu- uh, quote that he was a scorer with little interest in sharing the ball or playing defense. Um, so kind of interesting that, that George Carl never really quite got it. He said there was lack of effort sometimes from him. There was just issues. And George Carl has, has since apologized and said he should have been, you know, a bigger man. He he kind of jumped to conclusions by by saying that. Whatever. But, you know, you have the Bucks trading, you know, Ray Allen to get Gary Payton. And then it, it, very interesting because, yeah, they thought that they were going to get, you know, they thought they, they wanted Gary Payton. And I cannot fathom that because obviously as an unrestricted free agent, he bolted Milwaukee the year after. Uh, I, w- I mentioned this on Twitter earlier today, so I'm glad um, – uh, Paul Henning, who who does some work for the uh, the Save Our Bucks campaign, the SaveOurBucks.com and that stuff, he follows us, and he actually re, uh, responded to me with a few different things and said, you know, ugh, you know, don't bring that up. I, I hate hearing about that. And I, I asked him, I said, you know, you probably knew at the time, what the hell were they thinking getting Gary Payton, who was a restricted free or an unrestricted free agent? Like, why would he stay in Milwaukee? Uh, and apparently, uh, according to him, he said uh, he, and in this case, he is Gary Payton, uh, told Ernie, Ernie Grunfeld, that he could bring Carl Malone to Milwaukee as well. He asked the Bucks for a four-year, $40 million extension and guaranteed Malone would sign there too. Well, uh, in case you're not familiar with what time period, uh, Carl Malone and Gary Payton decided, hey, let's go to Los Angeles and team up with Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal and see how that works instead of going to Milwaukee. Yes. And they made the NBA Finals. And obviously, that's a team that's historically like, oh, they failed. And let's like, well, they got to the NBA Finals. Like, that's right. I was like, because people do that with like the, the Miami Heat that first year, too. They're like, oh, look at the big threes of failure. And I'm like, they're in the NBA Finals. Like, that's really hard to do. Yes. Like, like, that's pretty damn good that they were like, hey, let's get a team together and go to the NBA Finals. Or like, let's win a championship. And it's like, oh, they they were, you know, four games short of winning the NBA. I'm like, that's pretty good. Like, it's I, right. it's not too bad. I think that's that's not a bad goal to, to have in mind. So, so obviously, uh, the Carmelone Gary Payton uh, Bucks dynasty did not happen, but that would have been sweet. I don't know why Ernie Grunfeld thought that that would happen. Maybe just but. a terrible uniforms. They were like, oh, we can't wear these uniforms. I'm sorry. <laughs> these purple uh, uniforms. No, like, we can't do that. No. Then again, they wore purple. No, I guess, yeah. Oh. Yeah, well, I, don't I like guess, yeah, I guess, um, you do, well, but... well, the Sonics had bad uniforms by then too, and the Jazz did, so yeah, that you really could escape bad uniforms, yeah, yeah, it was they were getting a little better by then, but yeah, it they was, were starting it to was finally... not a good, not a good uniform situation for the most part, yeah. Now, I, I will say that Ray Allen was a little bit, maybe not expendable isn't quite the right word, but they did have Michael Red waiting in the wings, who was sure really surprisingly very good with a second round pick, so. It did sort of make sense they to move Allen for to get playoffs then, but yeah, you you know um, Gary Payton who who was still really good then, but was thirty four and you know and and it turns out didn't want to stick around. So <laughs> believe it or not, yeah, uh, no. And at the time, I think we always had this perception of what Ray Allen is now, and he really didn't have that at this point. Yeah. I mean, he he always and I think it it, it 
it played out later when he, you know, he went to Seattle and they didn't have a ton of success afterwards. They made, you know, they played the playoffs one year, one fifty games, uh, you know, one of the years as well. But when you see him go to Boston, you understand that's probably the best for Ray Allen. Or you see what he did in Miami is yeah. him being the featured guy, him being the number one guy probably wasn't the best move. And he, he excelled at just being the second or third option, being that guy who could sort of stay away from the ball and, and just be ready to, you know, you know, catch and shoot and do that sort of stuff. Once he does that with Boston and once he does that with Miami or whatever, then you kind of see, aha, you know, that, that's that's what Ray Allen is. If you're at the time, I mean, George Carl was, you know, he, he sort of gets a bad rap, but it was sort of justified in the point too, where him as the featured guy wasn't really, you know, Milwaukee couldn't get over that hump. They got, you know, games within the NBA Finals in 2001, and then just they, they started to falter, and and Carl sort of made the move. But like the Danny Manning thing, it it, it kind of hurts when then you don't sign Gary Payton. And then I thought, okay, cool, you just wanted to get you know calf space, but then they realized, hey, we wanted. I wonder if that was sort of revisionist history. That I'm saying, no, we wanted Gary Payton, but I don't know. <laughs> like, this this was done, at, you know, close to the time of the trade. So I, I have no reason to believe that they'd be, uh, you know, lying about that. But uh, anyway, the fortunes of the teams. Um, Michael Red, as you've mentioned, became the leader of the uh, the, the Bucks for a while. Uh, they made the po- uh, the playoffs. They've made it since uh, the, this trade four times. They made the playoffs. Never gotten out of the first round though, so they never have really had the success that they had with. That Ray Allen, you know, Glenn Robinson, Sam Cassell team that they had. But Milwaukee's rebuilding, and they're on a good path these days. I think they're finally sort of figuring it out and getting it together. And they have they have real talent for the first time in a long time. Yeah. Uh, Gary Payton has mentioned 28 games with Milwaukee. Unrestricted free agent signs with the Lakers alongside Carl Malone, who, you know, <laughs> they did not go to Milwaukee. They instead went to the Lakers. And they made the end, uh, you know, the NBA Finals and, and were within a few games of winning it. Uh, obviously, the Detroit Pistons beat them, a team that we talked about a little bit earlier. Uh, and then Desmond Mason, who went to the Bucks as well, he spent two and a half years in Milwaukee and was kind of a pseudo star for the franchise. Was I remember a pretty big deal when I went to Bucks games at the time. Like, he was obviously famous for his dunk contest dunks, and, and, and he was okay. He was probably the second or third option on the team, but, but a pretty decent player. Um, yeah. Didn't he get hurt? He did. He he tore his ACL one of the years, if I remember correctly, okay. and that that always sort of ever since then he kind of became. He he actually turned into a pretty good shooter uh, for a while as well. So he he had a pretty interesting career. Uh, one thing that's interesting about Desmond Mason though, uh, and you know I mentioned 2003 first round pick was also in this trade, and it was Luke Ridnauer. Uh A few years later, Desmond Mason and Luke Ridnauer were traded for each other, and it was these two teams trading those guys to the other one. So it was Desmond Mason, who at the time was an Oklahoma City Thunder member getting traded to, uh, or, or, or who was on Milwaukee, getting traded to the Oklahoma City Thunder for Luke Ridnauer, who was getting traded to Milwaukee. So I thought that was kind of fun, uh, interesting as well. <laughs> so a few yeah. years, yeah, yeah, exactly. What a, what a circle of life. Uh, Seattle, obviously, they won 52 games um, in 04, 05. Uh, three years later, they would move to Oklahoma City and obviously become the Thunder, and the rest is history there. Uh, Ray Allen had a decent career with Seattle, 38.2 win shares. Eventually he moved on to Boston and did, you know, everything that Ray Allen would do. Uh, Ronald Flip Murray, uh, he had a quote-unquote breakout 2003-2004, which I always remember people really calling it a big deal and that was a breakout. I went back and looked at the season. He was no damn good. Like, he was just a no-name that that had, like, 15 points a game. But, like, he had 1.7 win shares. Like, he was a score or nothing. Like, he did yeah. absolutely nothing else but that. So I remember at the time that was a big deal because he was scoring so much, but he wasn't really very good. So. He, was a, uh, he was a poor man's Jamal Crawford for the Hawks in 09 before they got the road, the road. Jamal yeah, Crawford. and like he would he would bounce around every like every t- a lot of teams would bring him up. I remember the Bulls brought him in. You know, Cleveland brought him in with LeBron that one I year. It was like, here you got Flip Murray now, and they're like, <laughs> yeah. he's not good. Like they're like, no, no, he's good. And like he never was. And like he flipped around. He was like at six different teams at the end of his career. And the reason was because everybody thought this year was good. And he wasn't any damn good this year. So that's yeah. that's the Flip Murray. Sorry, he, Flip. He, he did have his. He did have a other than. One year in Seattle, he had a career high PER in uh, the Hawks. It was fourteen point seven. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it was fifteen point. I remember that. 
15.4 and 04 for the uh for the uh, Sonics. So that was pretty good. Was he a was he a bench chucker for the Hawks or was yeah, he, yeah. he didn't start? No, right? he didn't okay, start. Yeah. yeah, he was he was the sixth man. I, okay. I mean, he he was fine in that role for that year. Uh then it did not last after that. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I remember a fat Flip Murray throwing up shots for the Bulls uh in like 0910. There it was you go. Awful. It was like nice. it was a team that was obviously like getting better and like there was pieces there and it was like Flip Murray and it was like just stop. Just go away yeah. and like he eventually did. Uh but Vinny Del Negro I believe liked him. So, uh Kevin Ali who who didn't do too much there. He uh he played uh 770 minutes with um with Seattle. Uh, he's now obviously the head coach of the storied uh, UConn basketball team, so he's obviously moved on to a pretty good career. Um, and Luke Ridenauer, as mentioned, 2003, first-round pick that was traded in this. Uh, over four seasons with Seattle, he uh, he had 14.1 win shares, but then, ironically, as I mentioned, moved on to the Milwaukee Bucks and had a decent career with the Milwaukee Bucks, too. So he's carved out a really good career, Luke Ridenauer. Um He's done now, well, right? Or is he still good. hanging around? He's on the Magic. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 remember he, him now. Yeah, I mean, I think he plays over younger, better players. Yes, that that is. <laughs> well, maybe not now that they have a new coach. Yeah, oh, that's true. Yeah, that was that was a big reason. By but yeah, he he's carved out a nice little niche. I mean, he was never. And uh, you he's really only, could he's only actually played four hundred forty-two minutes, so he hasn't played that much. But okay, all right. Well, it's, thirty-one it's games. I don't know if he's been hurt or not, but he probably doesn't deserve to play that many <laughs> games yeah. anymore. But yeah, de- decent career for him. So uh, yeah, and as mentioned, ironically enough, he was traded for Desmond Mason. You know, in this trade. So a uh, very interesting trade. Yeah, it was it was something that I went in not knowing, and then I learned that no, oh, Milwaukee actually wanted Gary Payton, and then to find out that they assumed that Gary Payton and Carmelo were going to come to Milwaukee in the mid two thousands. Yeah, so that's that's, that's, uh, that's very cute. Optimistic. That's cute. I like that. Yeah, hey, you know, <laughs> I enjoy that. Optimistic Ernie. Like those are two like stars. Like. And they were clearly title hunting at that time. I remember when the when those yeah. those free agent thing went well, down. I mean, Carmelo was flat out just like, "I want to win a title. I have like X years left." Like, you don't go to Milwaukee. Like, I mean, I don't know. Right? I, with the, the, how weak the East was, I mean, I guess if you had added Malone and um, Peyton, you know, like I guess theoretically maybe you could have had, you know, like they they could have they could have been in contention to win the East the next year. I mean, it's not a they're like a five hundred team without those guys. So sure. If Michael Red, you know, is is a good scorer, that's that's not a bad team actually. But yeah. I mean, they're obviously not what the Lakers ended up being. Um, even even though that was, I don't know, I don't know if still. Joe Smith and Shaq are one and one, but you know, right? Yeah, but Brian Skinner and Shaq, obviously. When you combine those two, oh, they had Tim Thomas. I forgot old Timmy Thomas. Oh yeah, points. old old TT. One of one of my favorite players of all time. I don't know why. <laughs> it just that's that's kind of weird. Like people have like Ricky Davis as their like kind of like ironic like player that they like. Tim Thomas is always some of mine. It's just like. Just no, no damn good, really. Just like good at a few things, yeah. and like really thought he was awesome, and like just fun to watch. But man, he, yeah, not not very. Mine's good, probably right? Tyron Lue. So, okay, well, yeah, I like that one. Yeah, I like Tyron Lue. Yeah. Um. So my final pick is the uh, 2007 January 16, 2007 trade between the Golden State Warriors and the Indiana Pacers, where the um. The Warriors received Steven Jackson, Al Harrington, Sarunas Yevikevich, and Josh Powell uh, for uh, Mike Dunleavy, Troy Murphy, Ike Diogu, and Keith McLeod. Um, and uh, this was basically, you know, neither one of these teams liked what they had, so they decided, yeah, we'll just swap our problems and see how it works out. <laughs> um, the best. Those are the best trades. Yeah. Uh, basically, Dunleavy and Murphy didn't really fit in with Don Nelson's system. Nelson had just become the coach of the uh, team that year. 
Um, the Pacers were still kind of reeling from the malice in the palace situation. Steven Jackson had been suspended for that. He'd also recently gotten in trouble the previous season, uh, for a, uh, fight in a strip club and then had a, a spat with Rick Carlisle, Rick Carlisle, who was their coach at the time. Harrington had come back from the Hawks, um, signed with the Pacers, but he didn't really fit alongside Jermaine O'Neal very well. They both kind of played the same position. So um, they decided to um, trade issues and um, that actually ended up freeing a bunch of money up for the Warriors, too, because Murphy and Dunleavy had way more on their contracts left than Jackson and Harrington did, which is hilarious to, to realize today. But <laughs> um, I mean, you know, Murphy was a, a big man. I mean, he rebounded pretty well and he could shoot threes, but he didn't do much else. And Dunleavy was you kind of a underachiever most of his career he's, he's a decent role player now but um you know it was just not a um was it kind of another like great white hype that didn't end up working out too well um also the what has often been noted is the um <laughs> indiana getting two white guys um uh it just it's sort of a, a pattern of indiana trading and drafting white guys for a while oh at this time uh, oh yes, yes. It, it was a while this was the most and this was the most annoying like grindy what it was like the most white team ever too i remember uh you know just watching them in, in playoff series or whatever and like yeah they had like six white dudes that would just come off and like they were just uh they were such yeah and it was kind of the running joke but it, it, it was it was like it played out uh, pretty they, good they, too. I mean, utah and they, utah and indiana always had that like oh the white guy's gonna be on there they're gonna draft for them and that just it always kind of ended up happening that way but <laughs> right. um the funny thing is that there's espn analysis and john hollinger <laughs> thought that a, Ike Diogu going to the Pacers made them the winner in the trade because Ike Diogu was like, was actually like a really good permanent player for a while, but yeah. you, you know, just he had injuries and you know, he didn't play very much. I think he had in foul trouble a lot, but this was kind of not the early days exactly, but this was when before a lot of the other advanced metrics were out besides PER, at least that were like popular and used, you know, a lot. So that was, you know, <laughs> It was still kind of, you know, advanced statistics, at least being used by fans and by writers was still kind of in its infancy. So it was right. like we didn't have that much to go on yet. Uh, Here's the whitest. I found the whitest Indiana team and the one that I, I, I hated oh, okay. so much. It was the yeah, 2010, 2011 Indiana Pacers. Uh-huh. Uh, they obviously they had Danny Granger and Derek Collison and Roy Hibbert and all those sort of guys. And, sure. and Paul George, a young, young Paul George at yeah. this point. But I remember this, this, this it, it little... hands bro, right? It had Tyler Hansbrough, who's yeah. annoying, like the most annoying. <laughs> it had Mike Dunleavy, uh, Josh McRoberts, and Jeff Foster. Oh, and there was a point. Yeah. I went to a Bulls playoff game against them, and there was a point where all like those guys were just rotating in and out. I think Jeff Foster came in and just did a hard foul, and then like Tyler Hansbrough came in and elbowed somebody, and then like Mike Dunleavy was just running around and hitting threes. And I was like, ah, I hate these team. Like they're so annoying. They're just like so white, and they're like hustling to every loose ball and just being you know grindy. And it was just like, God, this team's annoying. And, like Jeff Foster's terrible. Come on, like. Yeah. I hate Jeff Foster. The most obnoxious anyway. I've ever been in a, at an NBA game. I went to a Pacers game and I, you know, I had a few beers um, and they're playing the Hawks. And yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't obnoxious to the point of like cursing or yelling, but I was like heckling Mike Dunleavy a little bit, you know, um, <laughs> just like that. I, you know, um, I think I would kept saying that he was too slow. Um, 
and I think he was playing against Josh Childress or I, I forget the particulars now, but, um, but I was, you know, chanting that he was too slow and then he made like five three pointers, like in a quarter and, right, right. and the, somebody in the, uh, some, another fan around me said, he's not too slow now, is he? And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, shut up. Yeah. You're, you're, you're only feeling him. Like, <laughs> yes. So yeah, that, that wasn't my favorite. Screw that Pacers ever. team. Yeah. Worst team ever. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so of course, um, it didn't really work out that well for the Pacers, at least not initially. But they were able to sort of rebuild, become a decent team under under Danny Granger as their star, and then a very good team with uh, Paul George as their star in the next few years. But it re- worked very well for the um, for the Warriors, who um, that year um, put together a, a great thirty game stint toward the end of the season. And then um, Baron Davis had been picked up the year before. So um, Jackson, um, it was kind of a Grantland feature, talks about, you know, uh, it's his career feature on Stephen Jackson, but one of them is talking about how, you know, Jackson um, was a guy who pushed Baron Davis to play to his talent. And they pulled off the, we talked about earlier, the 2007 um, upset the 67 win Mavericks in 07. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd forgotten this, but he actually, Stephen Jackson was ejected in games two and five in the series, but then <laughs> scored 33 points in the clinching game and also defended uh, Dirk, Dirk very well, despite the size yes. difference. Um, so, um, and there, yeah, there's a blog by um, Tim Kawakami, um, the beat writer for uh, Mercury News, just saying that basically it balanced the roster, finally gave Baron some guys who could fight and scrap alongside him. Uh, and sort of gave unifying the vets as guys with getting third and second chances and guys who fit Don Nelson's system as well. So it was really a just a, a fabulous trade on all those um, fronts. And, you know, everybody there behaved well, at least for a couple of seasons before uh, Davis left to go to uh, the Clippers and Jackson started causing problems and got traded to uh, Charlotte. Um, but apparently Chris Mullen, his third big move after Baron Davis in this trade was going to be trading for uh, Kevin Garnett on draft night in 2007. But apparently that got botched by ownership and some other issues, um, including Garnett not really being exciting to come to the franchise. But I had no idea that they were. Yeah, I'd never heard of that. For, yeah, for him. Um, that would have been weird. I don't know about Kevin Garnett and a Don Nelson I don't, I don't know if I like I, that. I kind of think that might have. I mean, he wouldn't have shot threes, but I kind of think that would. I kind of think that would have worked. I mean, he can space the floor and I mean, obviously, you know, just he'll be tremendous defensively and and change the culture that way. You know, I don't mean, I don't know, maybe the system wouldn't work. Maybe the attitudes wouldn't work, but I could see it just kind of from a, from a basketball perspective. I think it, I mean, I, I just think Garnett's so flexible and so right in a weird, weird way, even though he's just very like conservative in his temperament, but I just think he's just such a, such a, I guess, a basketball genius for lack of a better term. I could just see him kind of fitting basically in almost anything. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe you might be right, but I, it, it'd be goofy. It'd be goofy it, anyway. But I, I do want yeah. to see it. I have, a, I have a definite curiosity to see. It. I like. Yeah. I like. I one of my favorite things ever is to think of like, especially when you talk about Don Nelson or like running gun, and just see how like certain guys would work in those systems and in that because like he was a mad scientist too. Like he could. Oh, yeah. He would have probably found a way to maximize what Kevin Garnett did, and then in two years, Kevin Garnett would have hated him, and then he'd be like, "That's the Don Nelson thing." Is like. He comes in, like, everyone's like, ah, and then, like, he makes the most out of you, and then you, like, hate him, like, a year later, and then he's all gone, and he calls you an asshole, <laughs> you know, like, it's just the Don Nelson thing that happens, and I'm sure that would have been, like, really fun for, like, six months, and then they would have hated each other, and then something would have happened afterwards, but that's all right. Right. 
we can dream. We can dream. But still, Kevin Garnett in a Warriors uniform, that's got to be pretty cool, right? Yeah. That, any, trade that, any trade that doesn't happen is pretty awesome. Let's be honest. Like, <laughs> that is, although they had a terrible uh, uniform then, so that was uh, that was the only problem. Oh, uh, with the stupid uh, blue man holding a lightning bolt yeah. for some reason? Yeah. Like, so, what, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing to do with no. San Francisco. And then, like, you go to the arena and you go and, like, you just see, like, how cool it is and how the atmosphere of it or whatever. And you're like, man, they wasted so many years and terrible jerseys. Yeah. Just god-awful jerseys. Luckily, they're the current scheme is awesome. They're pretty great now, yeah. But um, yeah. So, I don't know anything else, Rich. Not really. No. Uh, trying to do updates on the uh, the current trade deadline. Nothing coming up right now. But uh, any thoughts on on what's going on right now, and and any predictions of guys that move or anything like that? I don't know, man. I mean, it's it's been a weird day because, of course, Draj. I mean, basically, they've announced that Goran Dragic wants out of Phoenix. I mean, they've all, but they, I mean, they've said it privately. They've all but said it publicly. Uh, I guess Ty Lawson didn't show up for practice. Um, oh. <laughs> uh, so there's you know, Reggie Jackson also. Yeah, uh, he he he's, he yeah privately, and he's you know um, basically all but said it publicly too. They can't say it publicly unless they um, you know uh, want to get fined. So um, yeah, I mean, it just there's a lot of pieces out there sort of hard to see how they how they fit together but you never know i mean the the nets are sort of out there I, there's been talk of joe johnson to the uh to the pistons and anything that makes the uh nets worse giving up talent how, <laughs> it makes me happy because if the nets miss the playoff well no matter what the hawks get the nets pick but obviously the, okay nice the nets um they, they have yeah they have the right to, to swap picks so the nets not making the playoffs gives them a small chance to, you know, get further into the lottery. And, you know, obviously the better the pick for, you know, the, the, the better it benefits the Hawks. So. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, imagine having, I feel like this is going to be a very interesting trade deadline for, for one big reason. And, and it's really, I mean, we really haven't had this in a lot of years where it's a pretty open field. Like to be honest, you know, in a lot of years, people there are a few teams here and there, but people sort of say, ah, you know, it's Miami. You know, when when LeBron was there, ah, oh, it's Oklahoma City, or, or you know, ah, I mean, you know, maybe the people weren't really picking the Spurs. They kind of came out of nowhere. But for the most part, everybody kind of knew, okay, Miami out of the East, and and maybe somebody will beat them or whatever. But for the chances are, I mean, it's probably going to be them. And then Oklahoma City, they're they're awesome. Maybe somebody will beat them or whatever. And you know, obviously, it, it happened here and there. But this year, you really, honestly, more than any other year that I can remember in recent history. Like, I I really don't know. Like, there's so many teams that could make the NBA Finals. Like, matchups in the NBA Finals, like, you you, you can come up with six or seven or eight matchups or whatever and to- be totally justified. Like, nobody would argue with you. Yeah. You know what it, I mean? Like, it, like, in previous years, you can't, like, be like, yeah, yeah, Bulls, Grizzlies. And it's like, yeah, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the, like last year, like, people are going to look at you like you're an idiot. Like, maybe, okay, whatever. But, like, that's eh, probably not going to happen. But this year, if you make, if you said a Hawks Warriors, perfectly logical. Yeah, well, yeah. Trailblazers, Bulls, perfectly logical. Like, you know what I mean? Sure. Like, there's a lot of really weird ones that, like, like at the end of the day, you know, Oklahoma City might not make it at all. San Antonio doesn't look very good. But you can still say, if you said Cleveland, San Antonio, I'd say, okay, Probably like, you know what I mean? It's really weird. this year. I mean, any of the eight teams out West and I mean, I think between three and five teams in East, any of those teams I think could make the finals. Yeah. So absolutely. And you don't get that many years in the NBA. No, no, definitely not. Yeah. uh, I mean, historically, I mean, historically, yeah, I mean, the West, especially the the weird thing, of course, is if Oklahoma City puts it together in the the eighth seed. I mean, that's a Mm -hmm. 
that's a dangerous season series. Well, they're talking about Indiana. How historically Indiana made. too. They're, they're true. you know possibly Paul George coming back. Yeah, I mean, they could be and, a good season. And my, honestly, like, yeah, Miami too. I mean, Miami. Um, you know, if Bosch and um, if if they make a trade and they have healthy Bosch and Wade and Whiteside, you know, um, being great. I mean, that's you know they're. You know, that's that's an interesting series for whoever. I mean, how many years the, can you look at the eight seed and be like, oh, look at the eight? I mean, if they if they make the playoffs, they're gonna make a hell of a run. Like that's just unprecedented. It's, yeah. It's so a year, and I don't know if I, injuries have caused a lot of it, but which kind of sucks. But there, there there's also just been a lot of parity this year. I think the the talent dispersals is very interesting right now. In the yeah, NBA, so. it, it's 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 weird, and I, and I obviously hope that. Um, oh, uh, apparently Joan Kersey died today. Mark Spears really? is reporting it. Yeah. Wow. wow. Well, maybe that's a maybe that's a topic we'll have to look into uh, look into later. Um, but wow, man, how old was he? Uh, Fifty-two. Yeah. Oh man, oh, I was gonna say he couldn't be that old. Right? Yeah, exactly. Well, that sucks. Anthony Mason's not doing well either. This is this is no good. Yeah, no good. I know it's it's rough. Man. It's rough. <laughs> um. Well, anyway, Rich. Um. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> Um, so anyway, uh, everyone, of course, can uh, check us out at thepodiumgame.com. Our podcasts are posted there. Uh, we'd love it. Uh, any feedback you want to give us, you can leave a uh, you can leave a comment there in the post, or you could uh, post on our Twitter or Facebook pages, um, twitter.com/slash/overandbacknba, or same for Facebook. Um, we also have we also blog a little bit at overandbacknba.com and uh, we'd really love it if you would um give our our show or the um hardwood paroxysm network of shows uh which on itunes if you would leave us a rating or review we'd appreciate that you can just search for you can search for over and back nba you can find the hardwood paroxysm feed or you can search for Hardwood Paroxysm Network. Either way, you will uh, find our show. And we, of course, have many other great shows. Uh, Biscast Ball, uh, Rise and Scribe, the Podium Game Podcast, um, R Squared. And uh, we've got a few others on there as well. We, it's, a, it's a big network and a lot of great shows on there. We encourage you to check out our other uh, Podium Game uh, shows. Uh, I think there's a, a, a great mix of different types of uh, things on there. So, um, Rich... Thanks for doing another one of these with me. Yeah, I really enjoyed this one. So uh, we'll have to uh, come back again sometime soon, and it might be sooner rather than later. I'd like to let's 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 tentatively target doing a Jerome Kersey one. I'd like to do that. That that's a that's a fun, interesting one that nobody else is really gonna. You know what I mean? Like a podcast about Jerome Kersey. Like who else can do that besides us? Oh, right. Yeah, absolutely. Like right there. Let's let's. All right. We can settle that. We will. Now, we, so. we will settle that. All right. So. Um, <laughs> So uh, thanks, everyone, for uh, checking us out, and we'll be back again soon. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.